Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. So first question, question number one is this question right here. Have I got Mondor's disease or Mondor's cord? Mondor. Something out of Lord of the Rings, isn't it? Mondor? Mordor. Um, so question goes something like this. I had an augmentation back in February. I had no issues and healed very quickly. I have since, however, noticed that when I lift my arms up, my right breast... Right looks different to the left and sits strangely and have a pain in my right breast when I lift it up with my hand with a vein that sticks out and feels a bit painful. As you do, I started Googling like mad, lol. Lots of things online say it's called Mondor's disease or Mondor's cord. Do you think I should come in to get this checked out? I'm a bit worried about it. Have I got Mondor's disease or Mondor's cord? So it sounds like it. Yeah. Oh, David's. Oh, it's working. So, is your, oh God, what? My, oh God. Right. You don't need to see this, David. Um, this is not for you. Let's get that comment off there, please. Um, hello, David and mum. I'm very famous now. And as you can probably see, there's quite a lot of engagement. Uh, so you can, you can move on now. Um, oh God, that's awkward, isn't it? Got my mum on the line. Um, Right. So Mondor's disease. Yes. Sounds like it. Well, certainly the cord bit sounds like Mondor's disease. This lifting your arm up. What does it say? I lift my arm up and this sits strangely and pain in my breast. So lifting the arm up and sitting strangely um, is not necessarily Mondor's disease. What Mondor's disease is, uh, is, double is, my mum will probably have something to say about that, but um, you know, we we know what I'm saying. We know what I'm talking about. Um, it is a a blocked vein in the in the just underneath the skin, superficial vein, and you can sometimes when you lift your arm up after a breast augmentation get these things like cords. It's like a piece of string, and it can be a bit uncomfortable when you lift your arm up um, uh, where the incision is, and it's either a vein or a lymphatic that has been damaged by the incision because obviously the incision has to go full thickness through the skin because you have to sort of make a space to put the implant in so you are going to damage some veins you, you that's that's not a sort of complication that's a necessity there's going to be some small vessels which are going to be divided when you put the implant in that happens every single time you do the surgery but sometimes those blocked veins uh, you can get a bit of superficial infection it's called thrombophlebitis it's just infection in the in the vein uh, in that block vein, and it can feel a bit hard. You get a similar thing when you have drips. Sometimes you get a bit of a blocked uh, vein from a drip uh, in your hand, and it can be a bit uncomfortable, and it can go hard. But it, we will recanalize. The hole will come again. The vein will come again and become a normal vein again. It will, you know, the body's fantastic at doing that. But while it's doing that, it can feel a bit uncomfortable, and it, particularly when you put your arm up, it can feel a bit tight. The other thing it could be. Um, is that when we do the surgery, at least when I do the surgery, I close the surgery in three layers. And the deep layer is a layer of what's called fascia, which is quite sort of um, uh, um, quite tight white tissue, which is overlying the muscle. And it's, 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 it holds a stitch well. And it's a very deep layer that closes the pocket up so that the implant doesn't have any um, communication with the skin. And then there's two more layers. It's a layer right underneath the skin and then a layer in the skin. So it's three layers of sutures. But if you close those that, that very deep layer of that fascia tightly, you might get a bit of a line there as well when you lift your arm up. That might be another reason for that same symptom being the line. Um, so the symptom is like a line or a cord or it feels like a piece of string there. It's nothing to worry about. If it's uncomfortable, you can have anti-inflammatories. Um, some people feel like putting hot compresses on and things like that can help uh, with the inflammation. If you have just had your breast augmentation, this patient's had it in February, but if you have just had it, then you've got to be a bit careful with the sensation because if you've got abnormal sensation on your breast and you start putting hot and cold things on there, you could potentially burn the skin if the sensation feels abnormal. So just be a bit careful about that. 
Um, but it's a self-limiting thing in that it doesn't need any treatment and it gets better on its own and it's totally nothing to worry about. It, it sounds quite dramatic. Mondor's disease sounds like it's... I haven't put this question. Mondor's disease sounds like it's um, quite, um, quite dramatic, but it is nothing to worry about and uh, will get better on its own. So uh, that's what it is. Certainly that's what that chord is. The fact that you, uh, the other thing is when people say, oh, when I put my hand in the air, my breast goes a funny shape. I'm like, well, I mean, I, I don't know if these implants are under or over the muscle. Certainly if they're un, uh, underneath the muscle, sometimes the, the implant can go a funny shape when, because the, the muscle's sort of pulling up. But I often get people who send photos and things say, look at me in this position. My breast looks all funny when I'm all in this position. I'm like, well, you know, things do get funny, get funny shapes when you're in funny positions. And if it looks OK at rest when you're standing like that, then I'm sort of probably going to be OK. I mean, the bottom line is I'll see this patient. I think well, I hope we've contacted her and said, look, I'm happy to see her because she's my patient. And any any patients of mine are very happy to see her any time. And I'll check you out and make sure what's what. But um, when someone says, oh, look at this, I've got a funny bulge when I do that. If it looks OK when you're at rest, you've got to be a bit careful trying to correct that, because if you correct that so that it looks normal when you're doing that funny move, when you're at rest, it might look weird. And it's more important that it looks OK when when you're at rest. So I'm not that worried about it looking strange shape when you put your arm up, because it just might be the muscle pulling it up, assuming it's underneath the muscle. Um, a bit painful. I mean, it's February, the surgery. What are we now? God, we're September. Can you believe that? We are September. Oh, my God. Catherine McClown's here as well. Oh, my God. What is going on? Is this who the people who watch this is? I thought it was patients who watch this. David Stiano, Catherine McLeod and my mum. Is that is that what the stats are made up of? I was convinced it was members of the public who watch this. Anyway, I'm going to push on. I think there might be members of the public out there as well. Um, so, yeah, the bit painful thing. I mean, I can't believe it's February. It's uh, September, February to September. That's uh, six, seven, eight, seven, seven months. So it might still be a bit uncomfortable. But anyway, so, you know, all in all, not particularly worried about that. And Mondor's disease uh, or Mondor's cords are something that happens. Uh, it's not unusual well, it's not that usual, really. I would say it's not unusual, but it's, it can happen after a breast augmentation. And it's nothing to worry about. It's just like a little cord, like a little string there. I think we've uh, dealt with that one. Um, we've had someone ask a question here on Instagram. Can you do consultation and minor surgery on the same day? Yes, Candy, I can. Um, that's one of the beauties of having my own clinic. I've got my own clinic. I've got my own operating theatre. So pretty much... Broadly speaking, in the clinic, well, certainly at the moment with all the isolation and everything, there's only one surgeon at a time at the clinic. And so the operating room is free, pretty much. So we do, um, it's not like when when I do stuff at the hospital, because they they, off, they all, the hospital also has a minor operatorum, but they tend to have lots of surgeons there. So they tend to book the minor room. So you have to book a session in the minor room. So if someone comes with a mole, I have to then book a session in the minor room to take it off another day sort of thing but because i've got my own minor ops room in my clinic it's always free um not very efficient but it's certainly good for patients because if you have a mole or if you have a cyst or if you have a um <clears throat> any of the minor procedures we do split earlobes inverted nipple corrections areola reduction anything that we do under local anesthetic we do it uh, there and then if you want so it's called a see and treat so we we would do it in you would book it in advance you would let us know that you wanted it done because we'd obviously have to block out enough space to do it but it's a see and treat service so we can have it done on the day and same day there's no obligation to proceed we do take a 100 pound deposit for those consultations but we will refund the consultation if we don't do this procedure either from something that we said to you know either from your point of view or from our point of view um, if there's any reason that we don't do it, then you you we refund that. But um, but yeah, it's good. It's good. I think see and treats good service. Dog, yeah, dog tick. There it is. Um, what's going on? Someone coming to the door? No. Uh, push on. Okay. Oh God, sorry. Leone, are infections or complications really common after surgery, especially breast surgery? Um, no, Leonie, they're not. Um, 
And I know what you're going to say. You would say that, wouldn't you? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say that, Leonie. I would tell you if it was, if there were complications were common. Um, now, I would say it depends on what surgery you're talking about. So I'm assuming you're talking about cosmetic breast surgery rather than reconstructive breast surgery. So that's sort of the two big areas, really, in terms of um, uh, breast reshaping. You have a cosmetic work, which is um, people for breast enhancement, breast lifts, breast reductions, that sort of stuff. And you have reconstructive work, which is people who've had breast cancer, who have had a mastectomy. Usually they might have had a wide local excision, but they had part or all of their breasts removed and reconstructed. So yeah, breast reduction surgery, okay. So that's that's cosmetic breast surgery. So in reconstructive breast surgery, there's also there's often other treatments that have been used with for the cancer, like radiotherapy and chemotherapy, and they can affect your ability to have... Uh, a good wound healing. So your risk of complications and wound healing problems are increased in breast reconstructive work. But in cosmetic work, like for instance, breast reduction, the redu the risk is less. Now, I've got to be honest with you, Leone, a breast reduction is quite a big operation and there are risks of complications. Now, the things that I would say are maybe not common, but you, know, you can have a, a good chance of getting would be delayed wound healing and breakdown, particularly the T-junction where the two scars meet down here. So you might have a delay in the wound healing. We aim for the wound to heal in a week to two weeks, but sometimes it can take longer, particularly at that T-junction. So that is, you know, get, getting on for, I would say, common, a little bit of wound healing problems. Now, usually it's not infection. Often what happens is people go to their GP, the GP says it's infected, gives them antibiotics, and they say, oh, that's great, it's got better. It usually doesn't need antibiotics, it's usually not infected. It's often quite red, but that's normally just inflammation, and it's just a bit of wound breakdown because that is the tightest point of the closure because when you do a breast reduction, a breast lift is part of it, so you're tightening the skin envelope, and so that can be really tight, that, uh, that point of the T-junction, and so sometimes you get a little bit of wound breakdown there, and that might be a, a, an issue. It could get infected, um, as I say, it often doesn't, it often isn't infected, but it can get infected uh, secondarily, um, and that, but it usually just needs antibiotics. Now, whilst the breast reduction is a bigger operation than breast augmentation, so breast implants, which is, I guess, the other big sort of group of operations we do on the breast, um, if you get an infection, if you get a problem, it's less of a worry than when you've got implants. When you've got implants in, it's a little bit more of a worry in terms of breast uh, uh, infections because if, an if you've got an implant in and you've got an infection, that's a significant complication because antibiotics won't treat it. You have to remove the implant. Whereas if you haven't got an implant in, antibiotics will treat it because antibiotics run in the bloodstream and an implant doesn't have a bloodstream. So if you've got an implant with infection on it, the antibiotics won't get to those bugs because they're just sitting on that implant and they will never go until you remove that implant. But uh, that's one of the benefits of a breast reduction. So whilst I would say it's probably got more risk of getting problems, particularly in terms of wound healing uh, uh, being delayed, it's less of a, an issue than it would be if it was um, uh, an implant there. But uh, yeah, you have to be prepared for the complications and for the aftermath is that the right word after you know what will happen after surgery because it is quite a big deal having a breast reduction and it will knock you back aside from the complications and obviously there's always risks of complications but the complication rate isn't high for cosmetic breast surgery in general to be honest with you otherwise it wouldn't be so popular i think people have this perception that people are having um problems all over the place because i think quite high botched i mean there's a program called botched i mean how helpful is that Plastic surgery nightmares. That's all you see on TV, isn't it? What else? Anyway, they're all they're all basically want to know about all the terrible things that have gone wrong. That's what the media want. That's what the that's what the media portray. Plastic surgery. Oh yeah, it's all gone wrong. Oh, it's all rejected my implant. Oh, it's all you know. But actually, in real life, it isn't like that. Trust me, I'm a doctor. It really isn't like that. If it was like that, if there's people having all complications all over the place, it wouldn't be as popular as it is. There are complications because a lot of surgeries are done. But um, in, in terms of the statistics of it, it's very low, the risk of complications. But it's out there, so you have to weigh it up against the benefits of surgery. And if the benefits of surgery are not that high, then maybe you think, crikey, I'm not going to have it. But if the benefits of surgery are high, maybe you'll accept some risk of complications. There are Facebook groups to which make me wonder... I got a, I got a, uh, an idea about that, Leone. I think the, the, the thing about, and you're right. I'm, I'm, sh I'm sure I know there are lots of Facebook groups where people have problems. They get together. I think the issue is, and I think what you'll find, 
um, uh, is that if someone has a good result and is happy with the, with the result, they tend not to make a Facebook group, group, Facebook group together. They tend not to sort of go on about it much, really. Um, but I think if someone has a bad result, then their post-operative care is prolonged. They need a lot more support, both from the surgeon and from other people. And that's why they make Facebook groups, join Facebook groups. They get support from each other. They get help from each other because they might need further surgery, ongoing surgery, you know, and it's a much more protracted post-operative course. And that might skew the appearance of surgery in that there's probably hundreds of Facebook groups about things that have gone terribly wrong. Whereas very few Facebook groups of like, oh, I've had a good surgery, <laughs> breast implants, and I'm happy with them. The breast implants and happy with them Facebook group is not um, is not very well attended. Although there's a lot of people out there with that, but they don't need the help, the support, and the and the um, uh, the, the sort of camaraderie that you get from the from the community on Facebook. And I think that might be why there's a bit of a skew towards it. But I think it's about having a balance of you, Leone, and being aware that there are certainly bad things that can happen, that there are certainly, uh, you know, it's certainly a big op that can knock you back, but just putting it in perspective. Kim, is there anything I can do pre-op to prevent necrosis? Yes, I'm the type who has joined all these groups with regards to complications, and it's frightened the life out of me. Kim, necrosis, are we talking breast reduction again? Um, necrosis is a, I mean, that's a bad word, Kim. Where'd you get that word from? Oh, we don't like that word, Kim. I mean, necrosis is death, skin death, necrotic. Um, uh, and it depends what you call necrosis. I mean, if a bit of skin dies, yeah, then the skin gets necrotic. So what I've just said about the wound breakdown at the T-junction, well, you could say a little bit of skin could die there because if it's healed to start off with and then there's a little hole there, that skin might have died. But it's a small amount of skin. You wouldn't really call that necrosis. Um Certainly in terms of the breast reduction, if we're still on breast reduction, necrosis is, is um, I'm thinking more uh, of the nipple. That's the thing we worry about, necrosis of the nipple. Uh, so a nipple can die when you do a breast reduction. So the things that you can do, Kim, um, preoptively to prevent necrosis are uh, eat healthily, get your weight right. If you're overweight, you've got re um, I've seen so many on tummy tucks around the nipples. Um, yeah, tummy tucks as well because the skin's really tight. Um, necrosis comes up on those bad groups a lot. I might leave them as I do want the surgery, but they can scare you. Yeah, um, does it? Does it come up a lot? It, yeah, I mean, necrosis doesn't come up a lot in practice. Um, it's not something a, a, your average plastic surgeon will see very often. Uh, I mean, your average plastic surgeon will be able to deal with it. And we see it a lot when we're in the hospital and we've got people who've had bowel surgery and all sorts of people are ill and had necrotic wounds because they've, they've been very run down. But in cosmetic surgery, you want to optimize people. So I do think it's important to get your weight right first. If you're overweight, you're going to increase your risk of complications. Smoking is a nightmare for necrosis. To the extent that if you're having a surgery where you get, you're closing the wound tight, any sort of body contouring, breast reduction, mastopexy, which is a breast lift, tummy tuck, facelift, arm lift, thigh lift, all these surgeries, all the body contouring surgery is by definition closing that wound tight. And anything that will reduce the blood supply to the skin is going to increase the risk of that wound opening up. And if it's really closed tight and it opens up, it can be a nightmare. And the only really big nightmares that I've seen have been in smokers. Smoking is a nightmare. And so therefore, if you are considering any of those sorts of surgeries and you smoke, I would say to you, you're better off not having the surgery if you can't stop smoking. And I know what I know what you're going to say. Oh, you got it in for smokers. Oh, um, equal rights for smokers. We should be allowed surgery and all that. I'm not. I'm saying it for you. Because if you if you have one of these necrosis, you'll see it in your groups. It is an absolute nightmare. And so I'm not saying it because, you know, it's not. We say the same thing in the NHS and then, then you get shot down when you say it in the NHS because people say, oh, you, I pay my taxes. I should be having surgery. It's nothing to do with paying your taxes. It's nothing to do with paying the surgery. In the, I say the same thing in the private sector. So even if you're paying me for the surgery, I'll say to you, no, I don't want you to pay me for the surgery. 
I don't want to do the surgery. If you smoke and you want a breast reduction, breast lift, tummy tuck, facelift, anything like that, you know, I would say don't have the surgery. So anything you can do is to stop smoking, ideally six weeks before. The really critical time is at two weeks from the day you have the surgery to the to two weeks after to get that wound healed. If you smoke, it's a disaster. So smoking is a bad thing. Getting your weight right first, good diet, healthy diet, um, balanced diet, um, and positive mental attitude. I really, I mean, I know it sounds airy-fairy. I know it sounds a bit iffy, but I really believe that it makes a difference. Shoot me down if you want. Say it's not scientific and all that stuff. Um, I really believe it makes a difference. I think, um, yeah, I think I think being positive. I think you have to know about all the potential complications. You have to know about the risks and make a balanced decision as to whether you're going to have the surgery or not. But if you've weighed everything up, and you're going to have the surgery, I think you then need to be positive and not start focusing on the negatives and say, what if I'm going to get an infection? Oh, is this infection? I mean, obviously, give us a ring and say, is this infection? But don't like, oh, it's infected. What's gone wrong? Oh, it's infected. I'm going to get the infection. I know I'm going to be the one. Oh, it always happens to me. I know I'm the one who's going to get a necrosis and I'm going to get this and that. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. But say it's going to be great. I'm going to have a great time. Honestly, I see it. I see it. These people who are positive, who are just like, they have a better result. I think the power of the mind, amazing. I do think it's amazing. I've, I've, I've seen stuff and it really, I'm a believer. I am a believer. I am. I am. Me and Anne Frank, we are believers. Uh, honestly, the power of the mind. What about vaping, says Kelly? Kelly, vaping is not, yeah, vaping nicotine. Yeah, if you're vaping, um, air, uh, water, then, or whatever, steam, I don't know, then fine. But I think most of them have got nicotine in, haven't they? Um, it's better than cigarettes, but it's not as good as stopping. So vaping is better than cigarettes. Not as, So again, it depends on the sort of surgery you have. And it's, it's, it's true for all surgery, but some surgery when you're closing the wound tight is worse. So something like a breast augmentation, maybe I'd probably be a bit less uh, worried than say a breast reduction. Um, or a tummy tuck. The breast reduction tummy tuck are, are, are bigger operations, bigger incisions, closed a lot tighter than a breast augmentation. So vaping is not good either, Kelly. It, I, you really need to stop. And we spoke about this a while ago about doing a test. You can do a test on people. And we spoke about this when I was in the NHS, but also in the private sector. Um, but what I say to people, because you, obviously you can say, oh yeah, I've stopped, you know, in order to get your surgery, but you're only kidding yourself. So you really need to stop if you can for those sorts of ops. That was a good question. Thank you for that. Um, Jackie, nice to see you. I've got an agenda, as it were. Now, this question, don't know the context. I guess it doesn't matter. GA or LA and sedation. Um, that's all it says. Um, I, I've, I've been away, so I've just seen, I, I don't know where. Anyway, that's that's all it says. So, um, I mean, it, it depends on the surgery. Um, oh, here we go. Kelly stopped vaping. Well done, Kelly. Nice one. Two weeks in. Awesome. Keep up. Keep up. You giving up vape? That's the thing, isn't it? People giving up cigarettes now. We're giving up vaping, but that's good. Well done. Keep it up, Kelly. Keep it up. Um, so I get it depends on the surgery um, for this, and it also depends on the surgeon. Well, and the perp and the patient for a start. Well, yes, yeah, depends on all things. God, I'm thought this through, have I? So it depends on the surgery, the surgeon, and the patient. So, I mean, some surgeries are um, bigger than others. So tummy tucks are a bit bigger. Uh, breast reductions are a bit bigger than, for instance, mini tummy tucks or breast augmentations or mastopexies. So mini tummy tucks, breast augmentations, mastopexies is a bit more amenable to a local sedation than a full tummy tuck or a breast reduction. Having said that, you can have a full tummy tuck and a breast reduction under um, local with sedation, but it's just the spectrum, it just sort of weighs the balance more towards the GA. So it, so it depends a bit on the, the surgery. Some surgeries are a bit more invasive than others. It depends on the surgeon, so on the surgeon's experience and whether the surgeon's comfortable doing LA and sedation. I've got to be honest, I think the world, well, I, I think the UK, 
is moving more towards LA and sedation. I think America moved towards it a while ago, but I think we're moving more towards um, LA um, and sedation. And um, so I think as surgeons, we are becoming more comfortable with it. And I'm certainly doing more. I haven't done a huge amount, but I've done quite a bit under local and sedation. I've certainly done big ops, you know, tummy tucks, breast lift, uh, mini tummy tucks, obviously breast augmentation, you know. So, um, but it depends on the surgeon. The surgeon has to be comfortable with it. And the other thing was, what did I say? Oh, yeah, the patient. So it depends on the patient. You know, the patient's got to be up for it. So I personally, I don't really push it. Um, but I think, you know, most things could be done under local insulation. But the patient has to be, if the patient's like, going to, oh, no, oh, God, don't fancy it, then fine. GA, no problem at all. The expertise required for the surgery is similar. You still need an anesthetist. Um, you still need a lot of the equipment that you need for a GA. So, um, you know, the setup is similar. And it, it, arguably, the anesthetist has to work harder for a local insulation case than they do for a GA case. Uh, so um, if the patient wants it, certainly the recovery can be easier, can be better uh, if, if it works. And sometimes what we do, we, we do a local insulation with a view to doing a GA uh, if it doesn't work well. And what we're doing now, particularly in the COVID-19 era, is, to be honest with you, I'm going to be frank now, we're struggling to get into theatre, to be frank with you. The, the hospitals are um, being used a lot by the NHS and the private work that they are doing, they are not uh, prioritising plastic surgery at all. So as plastic surgeons, we're all a bit um, disappointed that we can't get our patients into theatre. And so um, that is where local insulation is becoming a bit more attractive because it requires less of an operating setup uh, in order to do local insulation. So plastic surgeons and other, well, I don't know, maybe other doctors are doing it, but certainly plastic surgeons are getting setups where they can do local insulation in the clinics. I haven't got that set up in my clinic as of yet because... But that is something that if you wanted local insulation, it's something that you could potentially get your operation done before having a GA. But that would be have to you'd have to be comfortable with it because I think we're going to I don't know what's going to happen, to be honest. It's going to be interesting whether we move into a situation where we actually don't need the hospitals anymore, because to be frank with you, we don't need a huge hospital setup for a lot of the work that we do. You know, if you're doing orthopedic work or if you're doing bowel work you know, you need the infrastructure of a hospital. But a lot of plastic surgery doesn't need that infrastructure because um, it's all soft tissue um, plastic surgery. So I wonder whether that will be a movement in that way. And certainly local insulation will probably become more common. I think it already is, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, it depends on the... Yeah, so I haven't thought that through. It's a triad on the patient, on the surgery, and on the surgeon. uh what's going on thank you i always feel better once i've heard what you've got to say that's from kim thank you kim leone what sort of pain meds do you need post-op for reductions i have had codeine in the past but did not like the lightheaded feeling would paracetamol be enough good question oh and susan's asked a question there so um good question leone um i like and i put this on my post-op instruction sheet i like paracetamol and ibuprofen normal painkillers painkillers you can buy at the chemist i like the normal ones um we do some and again breast reduction is soft tissue so it's all skin and fat we're not cutting through any muscles we're not going into deep body cavities so yes it will feel tight yes it will feel uncomfortable but hopefully it won't be too painful and i like just paracetamol and ibuprofen if the pain's worse, we have got stronger painkillers like the codeine ones you're talking about. But you're absolutely right. They can make you feel lightheaded. They can make you feel sick and they can make you feel constipated. So they do have potential problems associated with them. So I would say only take them if you need them. Um, you know. I just realized my speakers turned off. Does that matter? Um, only take them if you need them. Um I'm with you on that one, Leona Loney. I don't like the codeine-based ones. Don't like them. Susan's in the house on Facebook. Thanks, Susan, for making a comment. My mum's 
well she was here earlier so it's nice to see that there are some people who uh, engage with my facebook live um so thank you for that uh how soon after thigh liposuction do you feel mobile can you get up and walk about straight away yes susan um one of the complications of this sort of surgery of any surgery but particularly surgery when you're sort of making the legs tight um and you're going to be immobile for a period of time is dvt and pe and that's something we very we worry a lot about dvt is a clot in your a blood clot in your legs and the pe is when that blood clot flies off into your lungs and that happens after any period of, of immobility so it is a risk after surgery and we're really worried about that so there are things we do we put these things on your calves and we get you moving your ankles and things but really the best thing you can do to prevent a dvt is to walk so we do try and get you up and about straight away probably not the day of surgery you're probably not going to feel like it. It's quite a long operation and you're probably going to want to rest that day. Unless it's done early in the morning, maybe later on in the evening, you might feel like getting up and just sort of walking to your chair or just moving around your room. But um, certainly the next day will get you up and get you walking. Now, we're not talking about craziness. We're just talking about walking around your room, you know, pottering, going to the loo and things like that. But yes, we do try and get you up. Oh, sorry, thigh liposuction. I thought it was thigh lift. Oh, thigh liposuction, even even uh, less invasive, um, Susan. Yeah, thigh liposuction, you'll probably be up that day. Um, sorry, I thought it was thigh lift. Yeah, you'll be feeling mobile probably that day, Susan. Well, depending on how much, unless it's a huge volume of liposuction. But it is good to get you mobile straight away. So uh, hopefully that day, but if not, certainly I would say the next day. And then, you, you know, you go home and you'd be pottering around the house. So we would try and get you up and about and get you moving. Uh, yeah, good. Let's go. I, I thank God I've got some questions because I've got to be honest with you. I haven't got many questions on my agenda, which I'm a little bit disappointed about because I've been away for two weeks. I mean, you think you'd have more questions. But anyway, we won't dwell on that. Um, right. Which procedure? Right. Here we go. Look at this. I hope I have what I hope is a quick question to answer at this point. I'm interested in getting some facial moles removed and also have some wrinkles under and above my lips under and above my lips and on my forehead which i want sorted out which procedure is best to do first hmm. facial moles removed and some wrinkles hmm. which procedure oh susan you're welcome you're very welcome um i don't know i guess i don't think well I don't think it matters. I can't. I can't see how it would matter. Um, I mean, I'm assuming your wrinkles. I mean, obviously, I haven't got any wrinkles. Obviously, you know, man of my youth. But you've got wrinkles in the areas of the mole. Is that the thing? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, when we make surgery, when we make scars on the face we put them in a line of your wrinkles. So obviously if you've got wrinkles, we can see your wrinkles. So you could say, well, have your mole done first so you can see your wrinkles, so you can hide it in the line. Don't have your Botox and then you've got no wrinkles. But even if you've got, well, actually, yeah, that is the reason to do the mole first. Because I was going to say, if you've, what we do is you make, you make the wrinkles. Like that. See where the lines are. See where the laughter lines are. I can't even make myself have many laughter lines. Does my face look all red? Um, yeah, they're, 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 I've just answered my question. Do the Botox um, after the after the moles because you want to see where the, <laughs> you want to see where the lines are. And if you have Botox and you can't see the lines, then um, yeah, mole first. There you go. I wish I'd thought about that question a bit more before I came on, um, but there you go. Mole first. Assuming the wrinkles are in the area of the mole. If your wrinkles aren't in the area of the mole, then it doesn't matter. Do people send you questions during the weeks for the live videos? You'd think so, Leone. You would think so, yeah. But I haven't had many questions. But yeah, you can email me a question, Leone. You can Instagram me uh, on the messages or Facebook messages. Uh, you can message me with the questions. But yes, you are. Well, or you can just do it live. You don't have to send it before. You can just do it live. I'm happy either way. Um, as you can see, I haven't put any preparation whatsoever into the ones that have been sent before. So it doesn't make much difference. Um, right. Scars. 
Following tattoo removal, I was told the scar will be long. To be honest, I'm more afraid of keloid scarring or hypertrophic scarring and the scar being thick or not straight lined with regard of the location and stretching. Is there nothing that can be done to avoid it? Right. This person is a person with a tattoo. They've got a large tattoo here. I haven't got um, I haven't got uh, evidence that they, they, that they have allowed me to show the photo. So better not. So if you are, if can you send a picture with? Yeah, you can send a picture, Leone. I love it when you send a picture because it's much better with a picture. Um, yeah. Um, and if you let me show the picture, I'll show the picture on the thing and talk about it on on this. I have that facility. Um, <clears throat> especially on Facebook, but I have to turn the camera around on Instagram. It always looks a bit rubbish. But anyway, I can do that. Actually, I think I can show. Can I show a picture? Questions from your viewers will be shown here. Oh, I should have put that ask a question thing, shouldn't I? Where's that? Go live with. Anyway. No, I'm not going to do it now. Um, so. Oh, is that for? Oh, God, do that. Oh, God. Oh, God. Well, can you see that photo? Um, sorry, did you see that photo then? <laughs> My wife's going to kill me. That was a photo. Right. Anyway. Right. So this patient, yeah, big tattoo here. Um, so they're worried about keloid. Now they have got um, dark skin. Keloid scar is more of a risk. You saw that photo, did you? Oh dear. Sorry about that. All right. Anyway, it wasn't too bad, was it? Okay. Well, anyway, at least I can know that I can show photos on Instagram. There you go. I've proved the point. That was my little boy trying on a hat at the antiques flea market yesterday. Um, was it yesterday? Yeah. So he bought it as well. Like a deer stalker. Anyway. Um, didn't see a photo. No, Susan, that was on Instagram. I'm actually a multimedia um, celebrity when it comes to my social media. Um, my social media reach knows no bounds, and I'm on Instagram and on Facebook. And I know I can show photos on Facebook, but I've just realized I can show Facebook photos on Instagram as well. So, um, yeah, it wasn't very interesting. That It was just a photo of my little boy putting a hat on and he wanted to see what it looked like from the back so I took a photo of it him so it wasn't a great wasn't really one for the photo album it's just anyway um so this is so this patient is worried about the scar basically so she's got darker skin so has got high risk of keloid or hypertrophic scarring hypertrophic and keloid scarring are on a spectrum they're the same sort of they're the same sort of thing and keloid scarring is just a worst version of it basically it's lumpy dark darkly uh, colored like red or or darkly colored scarring and it's ugly scarring and um it is a risk in darker skins it's a risk in certain areas so it's a definitely a risk here in the sternum area the chest the shoulders high risk there you get it on the earlobe so this sort of area is a real risk this patient's got their scar here so it's it's less of a risk bones going all over the place um so um so is that you, Leone? Is that you on the? <laughs> um, so it's less of a risk uh, of a keloid scar. So I won't be quite so worried about that. But they're also worried about the scar being thick or not straight lined. I think. Uh, what about stretch? I mean, first of all, the, the tattoo is not straight lined. This tattoo is like a like a bend. But this is a, an issue with any scar. We always try and make scars straight line. It's like when you do an areola reduction, you're trying to make the nipple round. It never ends up round, I've got to be honest with you. And you try and make a scar a straight line, but healing tensions of the healing and the scarring, bit more scar. You know, you, you ever seen them with a the tummy tuck? They go, oh, this bit of the scar is beautiful. Can I hardly see it. And then this bit of the scar is like really red. And you're like, well, why is that? I mean, so it's unpredictable how the body heals. Sometimes I think... I would have liked to have been a woodworker because I think if you're a woodworker and you measure it four millimeters, four millimeters, and then you measure a thing that's four millimeters and then it all fits, you know, or metal work and it all, you measure the hole and you measure that and it all fits and you know it's going to work. And if it doesn't work, you haven't measured it right. The problem with surgery is you can cut it just like you want it. You can stitch it up and you've just got this other dimension of time, of healing, 
that is unpredictable. And you look at the scar and, you, and they're like, why have you put the scar wonky? Why have you put this? And you're like, I didn't do it wonky. I did it perfect and it's gone wonky. I don't know why it's gone wonky. So it's just scar tissue. Yeah. So I couldn't guarantee it will be straight. And I couldn't guarantee it won't stretch. I mean, there are things we do to reduce the risk of stretching. Some areas are higher risk of stretching than others. Certainly the back's got a higher risk of stretching. Uh, also, it depends on how much you're taking out. This is a tattoo. I, as I recall, it's quite favorable. It's not too wide. And it's here, sort of underneath the breast on the chest. So it might stretch a bit. might stretch a bit. But um, And we try and put deeper stitches in. But even then, there's always a risk that it could stretch. Um and there's always a risk that it might not be straight. And what I would say in that circumstance is that if you are worried about the scar not being straight, about being being a bit, you know, a bit stretched, possibility of keloids, I would say, yeah, these things are all a possibility. And so, you, you know, your other option is to leave the tattoo. You know, and if that option is acceptable to you, then maybe leave the tattoo. Because if you leave the tattoo, then you're not going to have any of these problems. If you have it removed, there's a risk it might not be straight. It might be, it might go keloid and it might get stretched. And I'm, it's it's awful because I know people are like, well, can't you guarantee it? I, you're a surgeon. You should be able to tell me what I'm going to be like. And I've got to be honest with you. I can tell you that I hope it won't stretch and I hope it will be straight and I hope it won't get keloid. But that's not helpful, is it? Um, I can tell you that it's a low risk of keloid in that area. It's a higher risk in other areas. And I'll do everything I can to make it neat. And it, uh, well, the scar won't be straight to start off with. It'll be curved, but I'll try and make it look nice. But it might not. It might stretch a bit. And it might not be a nice curve. It might, you know, because the body and healing, bitter, bitter experience, what we're dealing with. It's a tough old, tough old job, I tell you. So, um, evening, evening. Where have you been, Fee? What time is it? Eight oh two. Oh, I just had a comment on YouTube. Look at that comment on YouTube. Look at that. Oh God, here we go. Got a comment on Instagram as well. I had, sorry, I am really flat chested. I'm not even a thirty two A cup. Is it still possible to get natural looking breast implants? Yes. Yes, it is. It definitely is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, basically, ev well, not, not everybody, but the majority, the vast majority of people want natural looking uh, breasts. And it is absolutely possible. But what you've got to do, XZDS5, I hope you don't mind if I call you XZDS, XZDS5, um, what you've got to do is not go on the internet and look at other people and listen to other people telling you what volume you should have and saying all this sort of thing. Because if you're, if you're quite small, if you're quite slim, then it's, you're probably looking at a smaller volume implant, perhaps a teardrop implant. Um, if you haven't got any breast tissue at all, uh, and you might go away and then look on the internet and then you say, I'm going to have this volume. And they're going to go, what? You're going to have that volume? That's nothing. It's not worth it. You better have bigger. And then then you then you get bigger and then you look round and not natural. So don't listen to other people is what I'm saying, because if you are quite narrow, if, if your frame's quite narrow and slim, you might be having a smaller volume implant to still get a good, res a good nice result. But on someone else who's been, you know, Let's just, I mean, I don't know. I know nothing about you. I've never met you. I've got no idea what your um, dimensions are. But let's just say you're looking at an implant of 150, 200 cc, maybe, if you're very slim and very small and your frame's quite narrow, because that's what it's all about. It's all about the width. So you're looking at 150, 200 cc to give you a nice shape. You go away and I've just seen your friend and your friend, I've told them they're going to have a 300 cc to have a nice shape and a nice natural result. And you're like, hold on a minute. I don't want to be half as small as her. I want to, you know, but your friend might be wider than you and a 300cc implant on her might give a similar result to 150cc implant on you. So don't go away and talk to people and look on the internet about volumes and stuff like that. Go with what's right for your dimensions because that's the problem with people who are very small. They, they, and I've seen people who've been told, oh, it's not worth doing and all this sort of thing. And then they have it and they're very happy and they look great and they look, you know, there's, you know, it's certainly a tangible, significant difference, even though the volume of the implant might not be huge. But if their frame's not very big, then that's all their frame can take. Does that make sense? Anyway, the, the answer is yes. 
xzds5 or should i call you underscore xzds5 yes it is possible to get a natural result definitely uh lips on the double chin could it leave excess saggy skin lips and lips and not lips i mean like i meant lipo lipo on the double chin could it leave excess saggy skin? It could, Kim, and that is always the worry of the liposuction, that it can leave saggy skin. Um, there are some areas where liposuction works better than others, and the, the, the double chin is one of those areas that it does work well in that area, and the skin will often recoil. But it depends on how much skin is there, and certainly if there's a lot of skin, it may not recoil. If it's borderline, it might be something that's worth trying and seeing if it will, if it will, the skin will... Come on, look at my What that you mean? Um, it's what oh, blimey, really. It's something that's worth trying and seeing what happens. <laughs> Crikey, do I need it? Blimey, O'Reilly. Has that always been there? Was that just since this question? Is there anything I can do with some exercise? I'm going to do some exercise to get rid of it. Um, so, yeah, it could be, um, I would probably try it if it's not too bad. And that's better. And um, oh, I can't keep that up. I would try it and it makes it look bald if I do that. I would try it if it doesn't look too bad and um, because then you're looking at scars if you're going to tighten the skin. Kim, I'm not, a f you're going to send photos. You can send photos, um, Kim. What I'll probably do is I'll probably show them to Kurum who does this sort of the stuff. I don't do this sort of stuff on the face. Neck ups, not really me. I do moles and stuff, but not really facial aesthetics. Anti-aging sort of surgery is not my not my bag. I'm more breast. I'm breast and body is my my ting. Underscore XZDS5 back in the house. When would I able to start weight training again post breast implants? So um well, this slight worries XZDS5. Um, because you said you're very slim and you said you're 32A, I think you said. So if you're very slim and not got much breast tissue, then I'm thinking putting them under the muscle to give it an extra layer of cover. This is something you would have to have with a face-to-face -face consultation to decide these sorts of things. But anyway, this is the sort of thing going through my mind. So I'm thinking under the muscle for that. And now you're saying weight training. I'm thinking, oh God, weight training. When you put it under the muscle, you get animation deformities. So that's something to be aware of. That you can get animation deformities when you put them under the muscle. And it can the recovery can be a little bit slower, not dramatically, but then when you put it on top of the muscle. So that's just something in my head. But when will you be able to start weight training? I would say four to six weeks gently and you'd have to start gently um, because you're going to make it swell and you're going to, you know, um, you, you you really need to let that implant get into pocket, particularly if it's teardrop. If you're using a teardrop implant, I'm going to say six weeks because you don't want that any swelling because the swelling around the implant can make the implant rotate. So six weeks for a teardrop, four weeks for a um, round and then just gently starting to get back into it. Um just because you make it swell. You can do lower body stuff after a couple of weeks, but nothing with your upper body. Kim, thank you. If lipo is no good, would he tell me the alternative, please? And thank you. Yes, yes, he would, Kim. And it'll probably be something like a facelift, you know, a facelift would tighten the skin of the chin. So something to tighten the skin. So that's when you do excisional surgery. Um, but yes. Yes, yes, yes. That was a nice little go. Any other questions anywhere? Now I did see a question flash up on it on on um, YouTube. I don't know if I'm supposed to have YouTube open. I didn't see. It. I've only got Facebook questions here, I believe. Anyway, I'll have a look at it later. Was it on this? Oh no, it was on another YouTube video. Okay, sorry. Right. Um, so that's me. I'm out of questions. If anyone's got any questions, then please ask them now. Well, forever hold your peace until next week, Tuesday, seven o'clock, right here. Um, any questions, post them to me on some kind of social media way. Email them to me, info at Stiano Plastic Surgery, S T A I A N O Plastic Surgery, or one word, .co.uk. Underscore X said DS5. Is Kurum just as good as you are in doing breast implants? Yeah, he's just as good as me. He is X said DS5. The thing about breast implants, X said DS5, you will find, I mean, I don't know if you know this. 
this guy here. Yeah. Recognize this guy? Yeah, the, well, this guy right here has written a book on plastic surgeons and plastic surgery. Um, and you have to find a fully trained plastic surgeon, and Kurum's a fully trained plastic surgeon. Now, we all have specialties, special interests. Pretty much all plastic surgeons do breast implants. And it's okay because, you know, I think we're all trained to a certain level. Um, so, you know, I think it's okay that... Um, for, and Kurum is certainly absolutely fine doing um, doing breast implants. Uh, we all have our subspecialty interests. My subspecialty interest is breast. Well, that's what I did in the NHS. I did uh, breast reconstruction in the NHS. Kurum's subspecialty interest is cleft lip and palate. So he's a facial guy. So he's his face is his thing. But all plastic surgeons do liposuction, tummy tucks, um, breast. Uh, implants and things so he's absolutely fine doing breast implants uh i when i and i think it's fine to have any fully trained plastic surgeon doing breast implants i don't think that it's wrong for plastic surgeons who specialize in other things to do breast implants i would say you want to more think about your breast surgeon or your breast plastic surgeon when you're looking at breast asymmetries when you're looking at revision surgery and things like that complicated cases maybe you want someone who specializes in breast um but certainly for the um certainly for the um normal breast implants i think any plastic any fully trained plastic surgeons fine and Kurum certainly is a very capable excellent surgeon and i'm very happy for him he works in my clinic as you probably know and i'm very happy for him to do um doing breast implants and i know that he's good because he's done loads um hold on a minute i've lost control is i sent you a picture on insta about an fng uh free nipple graft that is um well i have actually got on the phone here so i can have a look at that leone let's have a look at that's you i've got it uh, uh advertise your book as there is so many who don't know how to research a surgeon yes do it at the start of every life <laughs> do you think Get my book. It's called Never Accept a Lift from Strangers. It's available from all good bookshops. I don't think it is actually. It's available for from um, Amazon, twelve ninety nine, or Never Accept a Lift from Strangers .com, free. Yes, you heard me. Free. I'm giving away free three ninety five postage. Or if you're near the clinic, pop into the clinic and we'll give give you one. Um, clinics in Edgbaston in Birmingham. So. Um, yeah so that's the book yeah never accept a lift from, from strangers.com i think it is or .co.uk anyway um so leone sent me i was wondering if a free nipple graph will be needed for my breast reduction well leone i've got your photo i think maybe yes the, it depends on the nipple to sternal notch distance and it depends on how far you're moving it and if you're moving it more than i would say 15 centimeters then uh then it's a possibility and i think i'd be moving a long way with you leone so just based on that one photo alone is that the question is a free nipple graph common on large breasts i sent you a picture on instagram yeah so in answer to that one question is um if i had to say yes or no um i would say may well be i'm going to type it here may well be because um because i think that is quite a long transposition there um it's not common no leone a free nipple graft is not common uh it's only when the the uh transposition is very long uh which it would be on yours so um blimey people are joining should i do it you can share it if you like i don't mind should i share it i don't know it's a bit weird I feel a bit weird, Leone, sharing. I don't know. Um, no, I won't. Anyway, it's... Well, all right. Where's the, where's the camera? 
Oh god, that's all glary. <sighs> Probably just as well. Anyway, it's yeah, it's a long transposition. Take my word for it. It's a long transposition. So um, yeah, if you so you, you're looking at putting your nipple around 24 centimeters. So if it's sort of like 39, 40 centimeters from your sternal notch, where's my tape measure? So if you measure where your nipple is, put your tape measure, your sternal notch there, the notch where you, you know, there that notch. And if you if you're around, if you're getting down to you know 35 40 then i think you'd be thinking of a free nipple graft so uh, no it's not common xds5 is in have you begun to do ga procedures yet no xds5 we're looking at doing some local sedation procedures which is what i was saying about um patients having sort of breast you know breast augmentations maybe a bit of gynecomastia liposuction um you know mastopexies breast lifts and things um we can do under local installation, but not GA. We are desperate to get into the hospitals. They said they'd give us some dates at the end of August. And of course, they haven't. There's the phone. All right. Um, oh, God. Sorry. So, uh, uh, Georgia Billings in the house. Nice to see you, Georgia. Uh, what's going on? Is anything up? Oh, Fee's still here. Evening, evening Fee. Sorry, I should have put that away. Um, I wanted to know, here we go. I wanted to know if I if I would be able to breastfeed after an areola reduction. Yes, Salma, you can breastfeed after an areola reduction, assuming you can breastfeed before, but the areola reduction will have no uh, impact on the ducts going into the breast because it's just skin you're removing. So that'd be absolutely fine. As I say, some people can't breastfeed so you know that would mean you know with assuming you could breastfeed before you will have no impact on your ability to breastfeed interesting that i'm sending uh, seeing so many women and men covering their neck when on virtual meetings have you seen an increase yeah you know what i have i don't do necks but you you would think yeah is that you think that's a thing on virtual meetings i've only just started noticing it. i never i never but now i look Good God, maybe you do some work myself. Honestly, I spent so much on this visage, I can't spend more on my, I mean, that, I mean, look at that. That's the thing of perfection. But um, yeah, we haven't seen an increase in neck lift inquiries, but, um, well, Curum does it, as I say, but it's not really, the, the clinic is really based around the breast and body contouring, which is what's, uh, what I'm doing. I do notice it more and more. Yeah, well, I think I probably will now. Uh, I wish I hadn't started that, but yeah, maybe you need a. Oh, oh my, oh my things ended. Oh, <laughs> my um, my Instagram has ended. Is it worth going back? Is it worth going back? You're back. I'm back, Kelly. I am back, and I've just done. Um, I get an hour on Instagram. It normally gives me a warning. I think I've, have I finished? I don't know if it's worth going back. Has anyone got anything to say? WB4, hey, WB4. Is that your postcode? WB4. Um, description, what should I put for description? Oh, I don't know. Um, what have I just talked about? Interesting interesting questions there you go post um yeah well i was actually going to wrap it up i don't know whether i should go back on to instagram should I go back on to instagram it's not gone yet um what were we talking about neck liposuction and zoom calls yeah that'd be interesting to see if neck neck liposuction is on the up because people covering their neck on instagram um on zoom um here we go oh god is that how i started it god live start checking connection are you having a great day um i'm back there's no one on instagram i came back there's no one there I am WB4, but you know what? I'm struggling to get back into it because I've been off for two weeks. I'm officially back at work today, but I haven't been in the clinic. I've been uh, at home, as you can see from my uh, casual attire. And um, 
and so I I really to be honest with you I haven't done anything I've got a website which has not working which uh, which has been a course of stress to me which I've just actually just ignored and I read my book I went I went into the green I sat in the greenhouse and read my book for most of the day to be honest so um, I guess on paper it is a good day, but on reflection of what I have achieved today, very little. But I've got a clinic tomorrow, so I know I'm going to achieve stuff tomorrow. That's a good thing about a clinic. How how flowers in Capri? Good to see you all. Um, I say you all. You who is it, Claudio? Who is it? Who's there? Nice to see you. Oh, Kelly's got a question. Kelly has a question. I have a question, but I'm not sure if it's acceptable. But how do you find out if a doctor is it isn't qualified or a specialist i'm not oh i'm not sure what terms doctor use kelly where were you girl how do you find out i don't need to even have to say anything kelly what's this what's that what's happened S extreme slow-mo oh my bright light yeah never accept a lift from strangers kelly this guy here has written a book. How do you find out if a surgeon's qualified? You read the book. You read the book, Kelly. That's what you do. No, um, it is a good question, Kelly, to the extent I wrote a book about it. In short, Kelly, it is an accept very much an acceptable question, and it is a um, travesty. And Alicia Raffaele, oh, sorry. I, um, I get mixed up. Sorry, Annalisa, sorry. Um, I was mixed up with seagull. I see seagull a lot. Um, nice to see you, Annalisa. Um, so uh, you, what you do, Kelly, in short, you look for FRCS Plast after their name. That is probably the easiest one. So you've got FRCS there. Uh, FRCS Ing. And FR, I'll go the wrong way, FRCS Plast there, yeah? So FRCS means you're a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons, and FRCS is quite a uh, basic qualification. So FRCS is something that you get quite early on. So if someone's FRCS or MRCS, it is now. It was FRCS when I did it, but then it became MRCS. That just means a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons or a member of the Royal College of Surgeons. So if you're FRCS ing, which means England, or um, there's a Scotland and an Ireland one as well. Um, but if you're um, uh, just FRCS, that's basic. You're looking for a specialty in brackets afterwards. And for plastic surgery, that specialty is PLAST, P-L-A-S-T. Um, for orthopedic surgery, it'd be ORTH, O-R-T-H. For uh, ENT, it'd be O-R-L, otorhinolaryngology. For general surgery, it'd be GEN, G-E-N. So if they've got three letters or four letters after the name, which is not England or Ireland, or I think there's Glasgow and Edinburgh, there's two in Scotland, um, then they are a specialty, a specialist in something they're fully trained. The other thing you can do, oh, here we go. I tried that on the website and it said they aren't on the register, but that's due to not working in the UK. Uh, well, that's a bit worrying if they're not. So, oh, I see. So you, is it surgery abroad, Kelly? See, this is one of the problems with going abroad. Um, that is one of the problems with going abroad because I don't, and that's something I talk about in the book about you know one of the reasons about going abroad because i advise people not to go abroad not because i'm saying they're all surgeons are bad abroad obviously there's good surgeons and bad surgeons abroad and there's good surgeons and bad surgeons in the uk but it's hard to know yeah prague well then yeah you, they won't be registered with the uk then um that is a problem i don't know how to tell whether someone's fully trained in prague to be honest with you and that is one of the issues of going abroad there are other issues as well of course in terms of the traveling, if you have any issues, you ought to find out what you do. If you have an issue back at the UK, can you see your surgeon again? What if you need a revision and all these sorts of things? But um, this doctor also works in the works or worked. So you should be able to go to the GMC website, which is gmc-uk.org. So if you go to gmc-uk.org and it'll say, um, check the registration. If you know their GMC number, 
411-421-4 is my GMC number. But if you know the GMC number, you can put it in. If they know their name, if they've got a funny name like me, like Stiano, you, you should be able to search on their name. If they're called Smith, you might struggle. But if they've got a funny name, then you, there might not be many of them. So you should be able to check on the GMC website. And it'll say if they're on the specialist register. So they, they've got to be registered with the GMC. That's a given. All doctors have to be registered with the GMC. But you're looking for them to be registered on the specialist register. So there's a specialist register and there's a GP register. GP register is obviously for GPs. So when you finish your training in the hospital, you either become a GP or you become a specialist. So a specialist is a um, is a, a, a um, either as I say plastic. It'll say specialist register for plastic surgery and from when. So that's another way of doing it. Look on the GMC website, but they should be on the specialist re register. But if um, it is tricky when you go abroad, Kelly, and that is one of the reasons that you've got to be careful because of the um, because of the um, issues in terms of aftercare, indemnity, training, backup from organizations like BARPS and BAPRAS, the professional plastic surgery associations in this country, um, you know, you won't have any of that backup. Um, this is, what happens is there's a complication following breast implants. Um, you get it fixed, XZDS5. So there's a revision policy. Uh, your complications are covered for 30 uh, 30 days, which is sort of normal complications like infections and things like that. Just say normal complications are not very common, but if they did happen, it's all covered. And then, um, and then if you, there's also revisions, so revisions are covered. Uh, revisions means, um, if it doesn't look right, if one looks bigger than the other, or what have you, and that's for six to 12 months, depending on the hospital. So, yeah, that's, um, you know, bad enough if you have a complication, but we hope to fix it for you if you do have a problem. Is it legal for normal surgeons but not be upfront with the patients? Oof. Um, I can tell you something now, Leone. It's normal for lots of people to do plastic surgery or cosmetic surgery. Cosmetic surgery seems to be a term. Cosmetic surgery is not a term in medicine. In medicine, there are certain things you can specialize in. General surgery, orthopedic surgery, cardiothoracic surgery, neurosurgery, ENT, plastic surgery. Plastic surgery is a surgical specialty in its own right. Cosmetic surgery is not, not surgical specialty. Um, so a lot of people call themselves cosmetic surgeons, but um, they are not plastic surgeons. So, uh, and to be honest with you, a lot of people call themselves plastic surgeons who are not plastic surgeons, but, um, you know, that's where we are. Um, Kelly, I'm very nervous to book abroad, but it all leads down to the money. Also, it's a vicious circle. That's true, Kelly. I wish I could book with you. That'd be a dream. Blimey. Um, it is a vicious circle, Kelly. And you know what? I don't know what to say. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who have surgery abroad and are absolutely fine and happy with it. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.